Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Good morning, Ray. Hi, Marcus. What you doing today? I'm feeling glammy on this gray day. What are you doing today? I noticed the little little, little swatches of glittery makeup under your eyes. I know. I felt like getting uh, made up before we record today because of what we are talking about and the angle we are uh, going to go in. Talking about the roots of glam rock on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's sponsored by Crooked Eye, our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in Hapro, and they sponsor our podcast every week, and we thank them. But what we're doing is kind of getting into the uh, hot tub time machine, and we're going to go back to when flower power and all you need is love and all that was the main thing, the thrust of what was going on on both sides of the pond. Yeah, I mean, you had the electric folk on our side of the pond. You had, on their side of the pond, the British invasion. And then you had some weird things developing in the underbelly, kind of like you had the weird things developing in Detroit and New York and D.C. In the roots of punk, yeah, Yeah. talking about proto-punk and stuff, right. so you had all of these different spinoffs of rock and roll breaking out, and one of the uh, craziest ever, to come out of it and it influenced generations ahead of it came out of all of that insanity. You know, I never heard of Mark Bolin much until T-Rex became the name of the band. And they started as Tyrannosaurus Rex, had three albums, and were fairly successful in the UK. Oh, yeah, they were very successful in the UK. But, according to Mark, something was missing. They were kind of caught up in the trend of the time, and yet they had people supporting them, like people like John Peel, who's an influential presenter on the BBC forever. Tony Visconti's a big player, whose name comes up all through the 60s and 70s as a young producer. That documentary, Cosmic Dancer, reminded me of... Of so much. We both watched it uh, the week before we put this episode together, and I never realized I knew his name was associated to T-Rex, but I never knew how much he was involved, how deeply and for how long. One of the icons, one of the great producers of all time, and his perspective in Cosmic Dancer, which you can find on YouTube, we did, it gives you his view of what was going on, which kind of when you take the multiple views of Mark Bolin from the Tyrannosaurus days to the T-Rex days, and towards the end of his life, dying tragically in 1977, Tony's view is very interesting and adds clarity to the perspective of the other people who were interviewed for the documentary. And I thought that was one of the best parts of that film. Yeah, Tony was fantastic. And you're right, he was probably that middle point. And he really pulled all of the craziness together that was Mark Bolin and did a real good job. But it also explains why you hear the Bowie sound, why his sound became came what it was and while Mark was the creative behind it Tony Visconti was really one of the driving forces that helped that sound happen and we'll hear it later on in the 70s as well. I really liked it when Tony said that Mark insisted that he read Tolkien. He had to read Tolkien for him to get it to understand and to understand we've talked about this in other episodes the influence of Tolkien on rock and roll Huge. but but in this case Tony if you want to produce these records you're going to have to understand where we're coming from 
from. So mm-hmm. it was that mindset that intrigued Tony, it sounds like, from, from his comments about it. Oh, absolutely. And he said he did it, and they said it was a perfect way for him understanding Bolin and his music. Tolkien fed the music, and uh, that's the place where Mark found his sound, his music, his muse initially, I guess, lyrically. When you think about the atmosphere of that period, it made sense, too. Totally. And the whole Tolkien thing is mind-blowing where it crosses over all of the branches in the rock and roll family tree because it's a major influence in rock and roll, which we may have to do an episode on Tolkien's influence on rock and roll at pull some point. Pull it all point together. And for pull it all together, yeah. which means we'll have to read those 1,600 pages in a week. Well, I've read them once. I guess I can do it again. I can do it again. Well, here's the extent to which the Tolkien influence comes, okay? When he first sets up Tyrannosaurus Rex, it's Mark on guitar sitting down in the film we saw that and he's got folky. Steve Porter on Kungas because it's the closest he could find there in his circle in London to the music that he heard performed by Ravi Shankar so that he wanted that influence in there once he heard Shankar's music he wanted the influence so his friend Steve Porter became his drummer and he even went so far as to uh, I guess to say nudge him towards taking the stage name Steve Peregrine Took, which is a character out of The Hobbit and, and those yeah. stories. This is the atmosphere in UK, late 60s, as opposed to America, a different way of doing whatever the fuck you wanted. Where at the same time, you had all these bands like uh, The Doors and other bands from America breaking all the rules here. These guys were rule breakers there because they were just putting on the makeup and the silk suits and some pretty hair and getting glamorous. He was a dandy, right? He was definitely a dandy. And you know what else comes up in this as well? Jack Kerouac attitude comes up a little bit in this too because Hmm. the beatnik influence is there as well because of the freedom aspect. Got it. And it's fascinating how all of this was pulled together and this amazing sound was put together. But go ahead and go because I sort of uh, jumped a little bit. Well, Jack had an influence on the San Francisco scene. He had an influence philosophically on everyone who was a thinking person in rock and roll in those days. Laurel Canyon, too. Probably, yeah, because of the people. You think about the minds. You knew they were all plugged into that, the whole concept of further. Could you imagine, like, Frank Zappa and Jack Kerouac hanging out? If there's film, I want to see it. That's all I'm going to say. We were talking about the flower power of 67, 68, and 69 too. Things were still going pretty strong through Woodstock and beyond as far as the whole peace, love, and uh, rock and roll. Well, John Peel called him a flower child with a knife up his sleeve. I thought that was an interesting description of Bolin. And when you look at him on screen, you see the look he gives the camera. And it almost has that, you know, yeah, I'm soft and frilly and I've got something to sing about. But I'll punch the shit out of you as soon as look at you if you look at me. He could be that kind of guy, it sounds like. He did have that attitude. He had a big ego. I think it was his brother who said that he had such a big ego he could never let his guard down because then he would expose himself as a mortal. And he believed that he was otherworldly. This was... The voice in the documentary was reading his journals and his books. So these are all the writings of Mark Bolin himself thinking that he was otherworldly and that he just had this hugeness. And it's an interesting descriptive of Bolin because you're right, flower power with a knife up his sleeve, and that fits him to a T. But the weird thing is, is he was non-political. He was completely non-political. He wanted the escape and the fantasy. It was the other guys in the bands that were more politically active than he was. 
And he stayed clear of all the anti-war stuff in the music, always. The whole time, he stayed true to himself. His first wife, June, was his soulmate and a bit of a muse for him. And they stayed together through all the psychedelia. But before that, what happened, Marcus? Something wonderful is in the offing. Tony Visconti said it was the arrival of the electric guitar in Mark Boland's life that brought things into focus, helped them to change the name to T-Rex, and created the sound, the sound that everybody suddenly went, what the fuck is that? And when you put together, like his appearance on Top of the Pops, where he comes out and he, uh, unbeknownst to anyone, puts a little uh, makeup, glittery teardrop makeup under his eyes. And the way he was already dressed and the way you see it there, right? And you see the spark of glam. And, and a lot of people say it's the very beginning, but there are always dandies that's well-dressed in quaffed gentlemen of London. And he fancied himself a dandy in the history of, say, Beau Brummel, yes. who was a famous figure in English dandy history, I guess you'd say. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he saw himself as this well-dressed, well-quaffed, and now glamorous. He mentioned the word glamorous in his journals and stuff. And then Ride a White Swan hits turning point it turns on the sex in his rock and roll and makes t-rex instantly famous in the uk but initially not so much in the u.s right it all out like a bird in the sky was right it all out like you were a bird fly it all out like an eagle in a sunbeam ride it all out like you were a bird it took a while for him to get big in the U.S. because he was huge in Europe and he was huge in England, sold tons of 45s, tons of albums. He was blown away and flattered by the fact that so many girls had posters of him on their walls all over the world. I like being loved. Isn't it nice that someone can love you enough to put your picture on their bedroom wall? The frightening thing is the sheer strength of it all. All right, let me give you a little timeline plug-in here that might help you to understand how this unfolded and maybe a little bit of why. Because it's something we've been talking about getting ready for this episode is why did they not get as popular here in the U.S. as they did in the U.K. and other places? When they first put out T-Rex in 1970, the kids who were going to become the huge T-Rex fans like me were still two or three years too young to get it, to understand it, or even feel it. Hell, we weren't even in a Bowie yet. True. Fast forward. That record becomes, oh shit, did you hear they have a first record? After the release of Electric Warrior, which is obviously legend in my life, everybody who's a few years older and younger than me. It is an important album. That album, I think, really shaped... Bowie and so many more to come ahead of him. That album really had a big influence on England. The slider comes next, and that's the continuation of the ride that T-Rex has been on, right? And I remember in a time when not that many people had album covers on T-shirts, a couple people in my junior high school walking around wearing the slider cover on their T-shirt. I was like, how did they do that? And they went someplace and had it pressed and onto the T-shirt when it wasn't being done very often, I guess. But it was everywhere. You'd see people with T-Rex written onto their uh, army jackets, yeah. you know, like on the sleeve of their yeah. army jackets or a logo or stuff like that drawn on their notebooks. And it really became the cool band or one of the cool bands to be following. And in 73, they do Tanks, and that's another big hit here. 
Maybe not as big on scale as the UK, but they were selling a lot of records here in the States because of the sheer size of the country and the size of the record-buying public here. Do you remember him playing tours or touring then? I was five, six, seven years old. I don't remember any T-Rex Mark Bolin type of tours at that time. I'm not 100%, but I might have seen them on Don Kirshner's Rock Concert or the Midnight Special or something. But I heard them on the radio, AM radio, but more on FM. This is a band that FM radio really went hog wild over. And what I'm getting around to is the next phase, and we learned this from watching The Cosmic Dancer. During the sessions for that album and things after that, things were not good. Him and his wife had split. He and Gloria Jones, who had been in his band, took up with each other, cheating on their spouses. She talks about it openly in the documentary. They end up together, and that leads to the fatal night in 1977. She's driving the car, and in the documentary, someone tells the story of how Mark foretold his death. I remember that part of the story. One of the things he told me at dinner when we were talking about his heroes and the people he emulated, Chet Baker was a hero, and, and James Dean was a huge hero. And I said, well, be careful having James Dean as a hero because you might end up dying in a Porsche. And he said, oh, I'm just tiny. He said, I'd like to die in a Mini. He did foresee his death. And to, I don't know, to hear it is kind of bizarre because it almost, I don't know, there's this sort of weird element of grandioseness, I guess. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that. serious grandioseness at a level that, I guess is kind of new to me like i've never heard until seeing this documentary anybody believe so openly and overtly (laughs) how superior they were to everybody else and i found that really kind of bizarre you grew up in an era where preeners were not that uncommon, right? True. They weren't, and people preened. They dressed, even in the rock bands of the 80s and stuff, a lot of the guys put on the nice jackets and poofed their hair. Some of them wore makeup. All even the punkers of, did that. They that, preened sure. like a motherfucker. So a lot of it is you're seeing it at the very beginning of the concept of it, and he was a little awkward to me. You know, I saw some of that stuff, and I went, well, I see how you feel, Mark. I see where you're going. I certainly got it, but it seemed a little awkward as if he wasn't quite sure that that was the next step to take but you know what he hung in there until the demons started to show up and that's where we should pick things up when we continue this episode about mark bolin t-rex and the birth of glam on the imbalanced history of rock and roll you know marcus with life on hold our friends at crooked eye brewery want everyone to stay safe so that we can all get through this and i know you're uh, washing your hands a lot right i am definitely keeping as clean as i can be washing my hands using safe distancing ray you know they also want you to know over at crooked eye that you can bring your growler to the brewery on montgomery avenue in hatboro for a refill Yes, as long as this thing goes on and they have beer, you can do that. Yeah, the boys have been busy, right? They have been very, very busy. Hey, Marcus, I learned something about our buddies at Crooked Eye during the last week or so. What's that? We always thank Paul and Paul and the gang there at the brewery, but I found out that a lot of people call Paul Mulherin Pete. What? So do we thank Paul and Pete and Jeff for their continued support and keeping things going there at the brewery? I think we do, and we want you to keep up on the latest developments at Crooked Eye on their social media sites as well as at CrookedEyeBrewery.com. And while there's no live music in the brewery right now, go to Crooked Eye Brewery Online Open Mic on Facebook for nightly live performances in the Crooked Eye spirit. Crooked Eye Brewery, the cure for what ails you since 2014. 
Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. To really understand that downward spiral that leads up to that fateful night, kind of got to look at his childhood because his childhood and the way he grew up kind of paints a picture and gets us ready for this event to happen. It's almost like he knew it was going to happen even as a little child. We've talked a lot about the effect of childhood on rock and rollers mm -hmm. when they get to be in their teens and 20s and beyond, right? We've talked a lot. But what was it specifically that you think led to Mark Feld becoming Mark Boland? Well, he knew that he was born of the other world or that he thought he was otherworldly. So I would have to say that that belief, which wherever it came from, and who knows, he never said or no one ever said how old he was when he started believing that. But what we do know is he grew up in post-World War II Britain, which got pummeled by the Nazis with the airstrikes. He was a Jew right, whose right. family either escaped one of those countries or was there a generation before and lost a lot of family in Eastern Europe and Europe in the Holocaust as well. So Not exactly the cheeriest of backdrops. Absolutely not. And he grew up poor, as many of the musicians that came from Great Britain at that time did. Right. And he said that as a child, he always believed he was destined for greatness. These are some of the quotes that came from the uh, documentary that is fascinating, by the way. And this one really struck me the hardest. I guess my name will live longer than any record. I am the cosmic dancer who dances the way out of the womb. I'm a lifestyle. I'm my fantasy. Wow. It tells you right there that he is completely lost in who he is in his own world. He is completely lost in himself. But if you construct something in your mind from your childhood, and I'm sure that there are people who have become great in other things who had the same kind of vision, not everybody wakes up and says, one day I'm going to be this and goes for it and attains it to whatever level. Even someone in, the, say, sports. Michael Jordan, they said, wasn't much of a basketball player when he was a young kid. He was more interested in baseball, which we know he had an interest in. It. But once you get to a certain point in your life, you start to see things. Some people, everybody comes to their thing in their own time and way. It's unusual to find a musical prodigy at such a young age feeling the call inside themselves for future greatness. And it's fascinating. 
fascinating to me. And we don't know if he was a bully, but somebody said that when he was bullied or picked on because he was little, he became or thought in his mind that he was a greater person than the bully. And my guess is he probably tried to whoop their ass after that. But they didn't go into details, which explains the knife up his sleeve, the flower child with the knife up his sleeve. I love that quote. It's a great quote. That is a great quote. But like some of the other journal notes that came out of him were, I like being loved. Isn't it nice that someone loves you so much that they put a picture of you on their wall. The frightening thing is the sheer strength of it all. So he knew the power that he had right. and he knew how to use it and he was glad to use it for his advantage. What you're talking about there, all that from the childhood perspective and all of it, really gives people a nice frame of reference for the Mark Bolin personality. Whatever you want to call it or however else you want to describe it. It gives people who don't know, who've just heard Jeep or get it on on the radio it gives him a little more depth about the personality and where he was coming from from an early age and that's why the Tyrannosaurus Rex days happened on the level they happened and we talk about how they did they crossed over when whatever they were before in America which wasn't probably that much maybe mm -hmm. some underground radio play they crossed over with the T-Rex name it was catchy there was a whole first craze of dinosaur love in this country people went oh T-Rex that sounds cool and then they heard the music and then if you heard electric warrior oh my god that album's brilliant it just grabbed you by your teenage short and curlies and made you listen and it still happens to guys who are my age and guys who are your age oh absolutely that album still has the same feels that it had back then and it will always have the same feels and there's a relevance and a timelessness about that that you know gives it that power but then again that was his vision so we were talking earlier and it's kind of what we're dancing around here is the why wasn't he bigger longer why wasn't t-rex more of a, a, an impact band in america and they had their influence we've talked about bands that are the influencers the mc5 right mm -hmm. when we're talking about punk rock we talked mm -hmm. about the yardbirds we talked about the bands that are the influencers that help other bands velvet underground that influence other musicians younger guys and gals to become rock bands it's part of the way things flow sometimes and in a lot of ways you look at t-rex you're seeing the roots of a lot of what's coming at you the sounds the sounds yep. of t-rex coming at you in different forms from different bands by the mid to late 70s into the 80s Going back, you can explain this to me because I'm younger. I guess. Because you're closer to experiencing this type of a thing personally. In the documentary, they said that T-Rex or Mark Bolin or Mark Feld was a big Elvis fan until he saw Eddie Cochran and that changed everything. What was it about Eddie Cochran that was different than Elvis? Because Elvis shook some shit up. So what was it about Eddie Cochran that was different and special in that way? Okay, let's go into an alternate universe when you and I are the same age and it's 1958, 59 and we're about 15. Okay. We're the same guys then we love Eddie Cochran because you're so nuts about punk rock and, and where it came from and all those things and your love of this artist and that artist and different genres. Same with me. A lot of it goes back. They all looked at Eddie Cochran just like they all looked at Gene Vincent. It was an amazing rock and roller and, and they weren't as big as Elvis but they were way cooler in a lot of ways. Coolness. So, so Eddie Cochran was like the ultra cool 
cool version and the ultra hip underground version of Elvis? Yeah, like Elvis meets Chuck Berry. Sure. Oh, fuck. Throw like, on Twenty Flight Rock and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I know a little bit Eddie Cochran. Don't know enough about him, and we need to do an episode about sure him, which do. means I get to do a lot of studying, which is exciting. Exactly why I want to do it. And here's another thing you mentioned about Mark Bolin that explains something about why he wasn't bigger longer. He said this in his journals. Personally, the prospect of immortality doesn't excite me, but the prospect of being a materialistic idol for four years does. So he wanted to be monstrously huge for quick and then burn out. That's what he wanted, or that was his vision. And that's kind of what started to happen, because even in the slider sessions, they were talking about the mood. And he was challenged. And while the music was still hot and would be through tanks, he started to alienate people. And then during a blowout in the slider sessions, the band and producers, everybody kind of called him out on it. That's never good when you're dealing with somebody who has the kind of personality that Bolin had. He was going into uh, other directions. He did a, a film with Ringo as director called Born to Boogie. I don't know. we got to look that one up. Yeah, we're gonna have to look I, I saw that. that I said, sure. I don't know what that is, but we'll find out. But he admitted in interviews. Now, if you're admitting something in an interview, it's part of your everyday accepted thing, right? He admitted he was always on edge and on the verge of breakdown. And from his childhood, there's a lot of reference to his relationship to his mom. Very close. And was he insecure without mother's love like that? I don't know. Was there an edge of insecurity in him that fueled the bravado? I don't know because don't know. they described themselves as a very close-knit, normal family. He was just a little off. And they were hard. Both parents had jobs. Mark Bolin was more impressed, thought clothes were more important than school. Right. Well, he was always a dandy. Yeah, he was always a dandy. So that's cool. I mean, that was part of who he was. People accepted that. It was cool. You know what I was surprised? Was that he was such a fan of Motown and the Motown sound. And uh, that's one of those things I learned in the uh, Cosmic Dancer documentary that we've been referencing while we're working our way through. The story of Mark Bolin, T-Rex, and uh, a lot of other people that you probably know, like Tony Visconti, we mentioned him earlier. And Tony Visconti is, as we've said a few times, a major player in the direction of rock and roll. He had a huge influence on David Bowie yes. and so many more. Yes, and just uh, a really nice guy who likes to talk about it now because he knows how important what he experienced was. So so things take an even darker turn in 76. They go to Munich, Marcus, and while they're there, set up for what would eventually be the last record from T-Rex, Mark started to have visions and uh, I don't know if there was a, some blend of intake involved or whether it was his mind, but he was seeing and feeling spirits in the place where they were, which Munich had been heavily damaged in World War II. And in in the documentary, they get into more detail, but let's just say that um, he felt the souls that died in World War II was an apt description and in some accounts he told people that he saw them as well and whether it's in his mind or real is almost irrelevant it's the the story of what happened there and i can understand where a guy like mark would feel that would understand it because they say if you're in berlin or munich or some of the cities that really got heavily bombed you feel it around you and i've never been there but i've been to both it's part of the reason why bowie and those guys were drawn to berlin later on so well we had this conversation about all this we've taken a dark turn here on our dandy in the underworld and we were talking about it and we were pretty much in agreement that that appearance on top of the pops 
probably had a big influence on a young David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his book, Lawrence Myers admits that David wasn't much of a showman in his early days performing on stage. And around that time, 70, 71, is when you start to see Bowie start to do a little bit more with his appearance and his performance style. The irony is, we've talked about it earlier, was that he inspired Bowie to be more glamorous and true to himself, as we later found. And then, in turn, was inspired by David's 70s self later in the 1970s. So... Uh, an interesting turn there in rock and roll, something we discovered along yeah. the way. Yes, and speaking of influences, if you look forward, in a way, goth was influenced by T-Rex totally, sort of in a gloomy glam way, if you think about gloomy it. Gloomy glam. You texted uh, yeah. that to me the other day, and I kind of laughed when you, when you said it because it describes what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Adam Ant, his early stuff before he, and even as Adam and the Ant, was totally influenced by T-Rex, the showman, the makeup, and all of that. Bauhaus does an incredible cover of Telegram Sam, incredible cover of Telegram Sam. I get to play that. I get to play Telegram Sam all the time. We go deep on my syndicated show, the ones I I do at the Soul Kitchen. We go deep all the time, and that's one of my favorites that I get to play there. very influenced without a doubt by Mark Bolin and T-Rex so you see it moving forward the 80s makeup and hair bands totally beautiful darkness you want to look for an app description right there that is a beautiful great description darkness. beautiful darkness at the very end of the documentary while I was taking notes I took six pages of notes watching this because there was so many interesting facts you really kind of also got to go back to the old uh, Greek myth Narcissus and Echo because he loved to look in the mirror and look at himself as a child. Did you notice when you're looking at film of him when they're doing his close-ups that he's doing that? He's yeah. pouting to the mirror yes. the same as he would, but he was pouting to the camera. Yeah. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? <laughs> totally him. You, Mark. You. Stop. Not me, but it was really... Not you, Mark. Him, oh, Mark. him, Mark. That Mark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to his music. Yeah. Get to know him. His music is really feel-good, groovy music. With a sexy flair The sexiness is unbelievable But also what I found interesting Towards the end of his career Is how as he evolved and faded away The teenage girls grew up And didn't take him with them You know, that's part of the equation And I think that might have been more for the UK Where he was more of that teen pop sensation In the US The music didn't continue to be as great And that coincides With seeing, you know uh, The victims of World War II And the hall Always, like in The Shining. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and it's not funny, but because I believe in his head that was all yeah. very real. Because what we feel when we're in places where things have happened, I yeah. can tell you 
because my experience in the bowels of the World Trade Center Museum are very real, and it relates to that. And mm-hmm. I wasn't on psychotropics, I can tell you that. I walked through Dachau in 1999, and you could feel the death and the coldness in Dachau outside of Munich without a doubt. So We're going I, someday. I totally understand that. And Berlin was absolutely insane because at that time, 20 years ago, all the pipes were above ground because they have so many undetonated bombs. They find like 200 bombs a year undetonated in Germany because of the blistering they took from both sides in World War II. Like, it's crazy. So they had to put all the oil and gas and water and electric pipes all above ground. Did not know that. So pretty fascinating. Learning about other things I learned that on a walking tour. But T-Rex, and this I found fascinating, and I think it was Visconti who shared this. T-Rex came from a Ray Bradbury book called The Illustrated Man. One of my favorites. I have to read that one. I haven't read that one. It's all about a guy whose tattoos come to life. You'll love it. Oh, I'm reading that one. I just found my original 80s paperback version of a Fellowship of the Rings. Ooh. When I was going through books to find rock books, I came across it. It was so cool because we've been talking so much <laughs> about Tolkien. And here it comes out of the box and I went, oh, hello there, Tolkien, you know? And yeah, a big influence on Mark Bolin. And as the decline continues... He drank a lot. He drank a lot. He did and a lot of cocaine, too. Did well. He did a lot of he coke had, for had, a while. Right. And everybody did then. Yeah, everybody did then. So it's not like it was that... that was and like I don't know that soda. it was that bad or was that wrecking but they were drinking him and Gloria Jones who he now was full on with liked to drink so they would and as he predicted of his own death he died in an accident with her at the wheel she was driving a Mini Cooper after they were out drinking and then dining in London in the early hours of September 16th they hit a tree which is now a shrine and he died in the accident and you can tell she has the look of someone who's had to live with that for a long time but also you can see the joy at having known him and been part of his life too but that's what happened and you know It was a tenuous hold at that point, and that was pretty much it for T-Rex. But you know what? You know what lasts? And he's right. First off, he's remembered long after the music was released, right? Here we are talking about him on a format that didn't even exist in podcasting. Never even thought of anywhere near in his (laughs) lifetime, right? There he is, gone all these years, and yet the influence both then and continuing through the decades is pretty astounding when you think about it, not just because of who is on that list, but because of the variety of genres or subgenres that are influenced. You know, you talked about glam rock. Punk rock is influenced. Post-punk, indie pop, Brit pop, all kind of rock. What you got? Hair bands in the eighties, totally influenced. All influenced. All influenced. You can look at you can Metal. find Sonic connections to Van Halen and tons of other people. But absolutely, Kate Bush and the Ramones, the New York Dolls, all cited them as influence. Susie and the Banshees, Joy Division, oh, REM, the Smiths, the Pixies, Tricky. You can see it in all of them. Mm-hmm. That's just on what's on one page that I found on the internet. <laughs> There's probably dozens more. Without a doubt. That way, Bowling got what he wanted. He got exactly what he wanted. He set himself up perfectly for that. Yeah, but he could have lived longer than 29 years and still had that. 
He didn't want him. That's what it sounds like. And, and it wasn't an, a purposeful accident, but it was an accident. Yeah. It just worked out that way. And it seems that, like, the vision of the uh, family in the Holocaust, that reoccurring nightmare he had, I'm going to guess that he saw that accident multiple times in his dreams. I think you're probably right. It's, you know, he seemed to be a, a person that could see that things would come to him in dreams and sometimes just in feel. And yep. um, he was open to it, probably. But the influence continues. And uh, I defy you to hear any of the, the great T-Rex music and not move a little bit. It just was all about music to me that made you feel something different, something really good. And it was the searing guitars and the words, the feel of T-Rex. That's part of their legacy, the biggest parts. And some of the songs, if you're not very familiar with the T-Rex, some of his early stuff like Hippie Gumbo, Sarah Crazy Child. To check out T-Rex, I recommend like By the Light of the Magical moon of course jeepster bang a gong just go on spotify type in t-rex and see what comes up and start making notes and start listening it's a good starting point and then go find it yourself yeah some good stuff there electric warrior is a great album you're never going to be sorry you have it in your collection and if you get that listen to it from front to back all the way through oh i'm gonna listen to it back to front oh really (laughs) well you can do that with today's technology g willick which we couldn't do back then no we couldn't. I have that one on vinyl and on CD, so I'm going to listen to it on the ride home. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewery. Find them online at crookedeyebrewery.com. Don't forget to reach out on Facebook. We're there, the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Twitter, at Imbalanced Histo. No comment. And you can find us on email at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. Also, if you're listening to us on a platform like Spotify or CastBox FM or Player FM, Player they've been FM getting a lot of people of those. Uh, following us there. We're doing really well there. Let us know. Give us a rating. Follow us. Uh, definitely give us a review, and we'd love some good feedback from Stars you. are nice. Stars are nice. Also, <laughs> if we make a mistake somewhere, please shoot us an email. Let us know so that we can correct it or fix it in a later episode as well. Be gentle. <laughs> Ravi Shankar, gentle. And on that note, let's sign off from the Dark Doc Media Studios. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And this is the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. <laughs>